Traction Talks is a new podcast series highlighting the latest trends and techniques in the rapidly changing field of healthcare, as told from healthcare marketing thought leaders in their own words. Each episode digs into their specific challenges, opportunities, and success stories in an open interview-style format that puts the focus on insights gained from these industry innovators. Based in Atlanta, Georgia, Traction is a digital agency with a specialty in helping healthcare clients build profitable acquisition and retention programs. This is John Eagleton. I'm a managing partner at Traction. In a few moments, you'll be hearing from Erica Rosenthal of MindPath Care Centers. They're a leading provider of behavioral health services in North Carolina. We started the conversation off today by talking about the impacts of COVID on healthcare marketing. What was interesting to me as we talked is it became clear that it's increasingly difficult to separate the marketing of healthcare services from their actual delivery. Erica explained how they like to meet the public where they are, hence our episode's title, and utilize tools like artificial intelligence to not only put the right message in front of a patient, but to also make sure they are tailoring those services to that patient's needs for the long term. She also offered her thoughts on what COVID-driven changes in healthcare may become permanent and what she sees as the patient experience of the future. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Traction Talks. We're joined today by Erica Rosenthal. She's the Senior Vice President of Demand Management for MindPath Care Centers, which is based in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, Erica has held uh, multiple leadership roles uh, in a number of different health care organizations, uh, including Back Pain Centers of America and Laser Spine Institute. So Erica, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we've really been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, obviously, we're uh, we're living in the in the age of COVID. Twenty twenty has been a very challenging year on a number of fronts, and uh, and certainly it's also been challenging for for healthcare marketers and for really for marketers in general. Uh, and there was a, an interesting uh, stat or survey that we came across recently that we thought was interesting in illustrating this. A company called Twilio, which you might be familiar with the cloud communications platform, uh, published a survey where they talked with 2,500 enterprise companies about digital transformation. And maybe not surprisingly, about 97% of them reported that uh, COVID-related uh, challenges has, has really accelerated the pace of digital transformation. And uh, when, when, when asked to quantify that, uh, six years was the average amount of years given uh, in terms of just how much uh, COVID and our, our current landscape has uh, has really impacted digital transformation, so certainly speaks to a, a rapid year of change. And uh, and certainly, Erica, with your experience, I know you've you've worked in healthcare for a number of years uh, for different organizations. I uh, would love to just you know start out by getting your take on what's happening in healthcare marketing and innovation, and and what you're seeing as well with this uh, this obviously this very rapid year of transformation and change. Yeah, you bet. I think um, all of us could probably safely agree we'll be glad to see 2020 behind us because it has, you know, there's just been so much that everybody has faced um, this year. But at the same time, uh, it has given to digital acceleration of technology and um, an innovation and opportunity to look at things a different way. So with every adversity, there's always um, some innovation that comes out of it. I think what we're seeing in healthcare, um, probably the biggest thing is the um, accelerated adoption of telehealth because of the, the pandemic. If somebody is going to get to a provider, it's not safe to go into 
into a clinic, into a hospital as much as we can. It's certainly a behavioral health institution. So delivering healthcare services via digital uh, platform for the safety of uh, both the provider and the patient, um, that has greatly accelerated. I think before the pandemic, we were at about a 10% adoption rate. And we're getting close to 200 providers now, so 10%. And now um, we're about 80% uh, telehealth platform. Wow. And that's um, well over 200,000 patient encounters a year. So it has been a, um, a rapid uh, adoption from the market, but also internally to get people trained internally, to get the platform where we can accommodate that many uh, behavioral health visits and get all of the the information out to support that. So a lot of change going on. Absolutely. So you mentioned telehealth, uh, and I'm just curious from a, you know, even from a marketing perspective, how has that changed your approach, if it has, um, in, in terms of finding new uh, clients or patients and, you know, bringing them into the funnel, so to speak? And has that changed your approach any? And obviously, I think people have quickly had to become very accepting of telehealth, but just curious from a messaging standpoint, if it's made a difference. <laughs> it's it's been a big change. Fortunately, we already had some telehealth in the works, so we weren't starting from scratch. But what we saw when the pandemic first it came out and everybody was sent home and asked to sequester for a while in March, we saw a big drop-off. And I, I think that people were thinking it would be over in – you know, one or two months and everything would go back to normal. So we saw a big drop off and we started to reach out to patients and saying, you know, if you have any anxiety, the, the first signs were, what are we going to do about this? And, and more anxiety and people wanting to get in with their provider and us wanting to communicate that we're here when you need us. But, um, but as the pandemic continued, uh, there also came a mental health pandemic um, with the unemployment increasing, with uh, people being impacted by the virus. There are very few areas that aren't impacted in some way. And so then it's trying to meet the overwhelming demand that is out there and make sure that they're clear that we can't be all things to, to all people. So if somebody's in a crisis situation and that we're an outpatient uh, delivery care and we don't want to say we can't help you, we need to, to make sure that we have um, some type of plan in place to get people who are in crisis to a crisis intervention team that can give them the help they need and allow us to be able to focus on more of the uh, the chronic conditions or the grief counseling or whatever it is that that we're looking for and then meet the overwhelming demand. Sure, sure. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the connection, obviously, with living through a pandemic and, you know, just has increased, obviously, the need for behavioral health. So 
services. So, um, you know, that's great that you were able to, to transition and pivot that quickly. So sort of building off of that question, just in terms of what you think will become permanent. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of talk around telehealth and what role that will play uh, whenever we're through the end of this situation. So just curious, and at least from where you're sitting, what, what your views and, and what your expectations are, what that might look like when when we get through the end of this. Sure. I think a lot of these things that we've had to, to scramble to, to put into place will not go away, that it's made us better. Um, for example, um, touchless check-in and making sure that we're using technology to be able to reach out to people to do paperwork and get their history and background um, um, ahead of time so they're not having to touch pens or go in or uh, download and print information, write on it, upload it. We've got to meet the public where they are and be able to serve them at their time of need. And that means adopting uh, more innovative ways to deliver health care services. And that puts more strain on an already strained system. So we have to think, how can we be sustainable to deliver health care? Um, this, is, this is everywhere, not just at, at MindPath. Um, I think what we're seeing now is starting to see more consolidation take place, um, uh, specifically in, uh, in mental health and then behavioral health care facilities. In order for uh, companies to have the infrastructure that's necessary to meet the patient demand uh, in the way that they need it. And we don't know um, what was going to happen after the pandemic in terms of um, the adoption rate. Maybe uh, individuals will love uh, telehealth and they'll want to stay with telehealth. Um, we certainly don't believe that it will ever go back to the, the 10% that we had before. And there are lots of, uh, lots of benefits. Um, in having that, we can reach out to rural communities and they can have the same quality of uh, mental health care services that uh, we have in urban health care services. Um, it needs to be affordable, too, accessible, and, and comprehensive. Uh, different individuals have different needs. So how can we have providers collaborate with primary care providers or with a hospital if they're checking out of a hospital and need ongoing support, and making sure that records are transferred and accessible and no longer are we saying, uh, you can come in and pick up your, your records. We've got to be able to have those available, understand that we're delivering it for, for privacy laws to the right patient, to the right person, and um, and, and have that person be able to reach it and get it to another provider or we're reaching out and connecting systems in a background so that um, their history and, and record can be shared where that's necessary across specialists. I think there's um, automation too and, and the use of artificial intelligence um, to help determine what's the right mix of new patients to existing patients. When a patient comes in and establishes a relationship, 
on behavioral health. That's ongoing care. They may, uh, if it's a therapist, may see them on a weekly basis, or if it's um, a psychiatrist and they're they're on medication, they may need to be seen every one to, to three months. So you've got to have enough room on the schedule to have ongoing continuous treatment, but also be able to accept new patients. Well, that's an algorithm that we can use artificial intelligence to determine what is the right mix um, so that we can um, that, you know, we can keep the providers well balanced. And we're also, with the pandemic, seeing a higher acuity level in patients, um, and that often means we need to see them more frequently. So how can that be adjusted without um, – without any disruption to the patient care. These are some of the things that are going on behind the scenes, but also um, it is trying to be more um, personalized for the patient that's coming in. How do we have multiple languages uh, and providers who speak multiple languages that can communicate so that the patient um, uh, can easily understand that they're with the right provider who can help them with a the need and what that treatment plan is. Um, all of these questions in the digital world are generally determined before the patient ever comes in the, the door. Patients doing their uh, research online to find out where they want to go. So we have to rethink how do we reach that patient where they are, and help them realize um, that uh, that we can help them, and that's a that's a whole different um, way of thinking, and it's it's very intentional and conscientious focus on healthcare delivery systems. Sure, um, sure. Now, you bring up a lot of great, um, you know, great concepts or things that you're doing to do that. And, and I'm just curious, certainly in behavioral health, and we know this from our work, um, having worked with some other folks in the behavioral health space, it's obviously different from, a, you know, if you, if you have a broken arm, you need to go to an emergency room right away. But in terms of behavioral health, obviously that can be just as, every bit as critical, but it, there's also at some point a, a longer lead time perhaps as uh, as the patient is maybe you know, trying to interview or, or, or ascertain where might be the best fit uh, for someone who can work with them and, and really looking for more of a longer-term type relationship. So I was just, I'm just curious as a follow-up to what you mentioned. I know you talked about a lot of, you know, really innovative tactics. You mentioned, uh, I think, artificial intelligence. You know, what are some of the ways that you guys have been, you know, been able to be effective at that in, uh, in trying to reach those patients and obviously try to build those long-term relationships? Yeah, a number of ways. One is while they're making sure that we've got enough information that's on the, the website, it's the doorway to, to us, um, and that is delivered in a way that people can communicate with us the way they need to. If, if somebody is uh, wanting to reach out for behavioral health, and they don't want to be on the telephone because they don't want anyone to overhear that they have bipolar disorder, then we need to be able to have chat feature 
that is on uh, on the website so they can reach out the way they want to. Uh, having more ac accessibility through a patient portal to um, to reach out with the to the provider and ask questions or ask questions about um, medication management. Um, most of us you know, now have digital, some form of digital appointment reminder, but also being able to schedule, um, schedule online 24-7 when the patient wants to do it or change or cancel an appointment. Those are the things on the website. And then once they do come in, uh, using AI for an, to be able to better match a patient with the right provider. Um, what, are, what are they looking for? Do they know their diagnosis? Uh, what are some of the symptoms they're experiencing? And, um, and then how do we get the, a provider who has an opening, who has the uh, insurance they carry, that they're um, uh, in the proximity of the patient, and we can see where that patient is and who has availability on the schedule and get them in quickly and trying to think beyond the pandemic. At some point in time, this will pass, and we want to have continuity of care so that a, a patient calling in is hopefully matched with a provider who is close to them, where if they choose to go into the office, they have the ability to do that and not have to go through the process all over again when the pandemic is over. So, um, and then the whole process of, of touchless check-in, having somebody feel their basic needs are met, that their safety uh, is, a, is a factor, that they won't get sick if they choose to, to come in and see us. We're taking the right precautions. And um, these are things they want to know before they experience it. They, they want to feel safe before they make that decision to come in. Um, sure. And yeah, you know, getting everything online, online forms, online mental health assessments. Uh, how do we flag someone that's um, at risk and might be at risk of uh, suicide and make sure that they get the help, the right help when they need it? Absolutely. Um, it's a great segue into, and I love, I think you said it earlier, meet patients where they are and uh, and certainly you know, in behavioral health, that's very critical for all the reasons that you mentioned. In, in terms of retention marketing, you know, what are some of the things that you guys have seen work and, and how are you? I mean, obviously, in, in your case, it's you want to be there for the patient when they need you, which may be ongoing. Uh, it may be ongoing, I would assume, for a period of time, and then maybe they want to take a break or, or you know, something else happens in their lives and they return to it later. So I'm, I'm just curious how you guys are able to sort of nurture those relationships and, and obviously stay relevant to them and, and making sure that you're serving them with messages that are meaningful and relevant to them, you know, at that, at that right time. Absolutely. I think that begins with understanding um, each person's needs. And, you know, how do you think when you're delivering a healthcare service um, that goes, you know, that has to be there for everybody how do you make that personal? And I, I think there's both an art and a, a science uh, it, to that. And there's a lot that's happening um, 
in our country right now, which is an impetus for either further gains. For instance, just starting to understand that there is institutional bias in healthcare. Uh, that healthcare is not being delivered to all people equally. There are language uh, barriers. There are cultural barriers. There um, are barriers for even people reaching out for for help, um, which have been lowered with the pandemic somewhat, um, because it, you know people may have stigmas against behavioral health and say, well, um, I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't know, it's not acceptable in my family where I come from to reach out for help or to, to say that I have depression or say that I feel depressed. And a lot of these barriers are starting to come down, but they're coming down with personalization and a realization that we're all human beings. And that we need to uh, understand the needs of our communities in order to better meet them, better meet the specific needs of the LGBTQ community or Generation Z and the impact of social media on depression for this generation. That's the highest rising suicide um, rate now, certainly of concern or stigma against mental health in the military community um, and many technology advances with PTSD or addiction. A um, lot of addiction that's increased that we're hearing about in the news with alcohol, drugs, um, pornography. How do we get it out of the shadows and say that we de- we can deal with it and that human suffering is where human beings become victims through overwhelming circumstances or generational uh, perpetuation. And the failure is not in meeting the needs of our communities um, because we can't deliver service. It's because we don't understand the nuances of our communities and their traumas in order to deliver it in a way that they'll receive it. So it is no longer one size it's all. And I think another thing that it's probably worthy to mention, John, is that we're hearing about is just the compassion fatigue that we see with the providers, too. What do we do as a healthcare organization to support um, our providers, our doctors, our, our nurses who are uh, on the front lines delivering the care to the patients? And education, you know, educate and have conversations about institutional bias and, and how we connect more with the patients. It's a lot to manage at, at one time. And I, I think we have to lean on uh, technology and resources to help us get there. And uh, on um, some of the skills that come out of marketing, um, about understanding the patient experience. Right, right. No, you're so right. I mean, there's there's such a, a critical need, and and like you said, just fatigue of, and you know, obviously we're we're living in very surreal times where that's that's even magnified. But certainly, even in regular times, there's so much that's asked 
of our healthcare providers, um, you know, both from a clinical and administrative and, you know, throughout the entire process standpoint. So, um, and, and, you know, speaking to that point, I know for a number of our clients in the healthcare space, recruitment has actually become, in some cases, a, a bigger priority than marketing for new patients, because obviously if they don't have the, the right clinicians with the right experience to match, and, you know, you talked a, a lot about you know, reaching communities and being able to have the right fit. And certainly that requires having the right talent as well. So it's been interesting for us to watch that become such a major focus of uh, of healthcare organizations as well, just to make sure they have the right people who can, who can provide those, those level of services that, uh, that consumers and you know, patients have come to expect, obviously. Right. You're so right. So last question I have for you before we, we let you go, uh, and it's a little bit of a kind of a big picture future thinking question. Um, so it's, it's the year 2025, uh, and let's hope by then that, uh, that COVID is in our rearview mirror <laughs> at that point. Uh, just curious with, you know, with your background and experience, what, what do you think the patient experience is going to look like, say, five years from now? Uh, and I, I think you talked a lot about this already with just some of the technology changes, some of which were brought on by COVID or perhaps accelerated by it. But, um, you know, healthcare certainly is, has had a bad rap and, and, you know, to some extent just have, having not embraced uh, some level of innovation. Obviously, there's very specific challenges that have caused that. But just curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, what we have to look forward to and what that, that consumer healthcare experience could look like, say, five years in the future. Yes. Well, all of this gives us an opportunity to innovate. And our, our greatest inventions in, in history have come during a time of, of great distress. And I, I was reading an article the other day about um, the golfer, Payne, Payne Stewart, and the um, he was killed in, in 1999. Um, and the entire crew that was on this, this jet uh, the cabin pressure gradually started to fall, and it was depriving them of oxygen. But it happened so gradually that it, it, it killed the pilots, and then it killed um, uh, Payne Stewart and, and three other passengers before the plane crashed. So, so out of that, um, there there was a device that was invented that could alert a warning system that could alert um, uh, passengers that there is um, possible hypoxia causing conditions before it's too late. So so that invention came from a a tragedy. Um, We've already seen a a company in the Triangle area that uh, with the pandemic and oxygen machines, a lot of people having to go on oxygen machines, but the, the danger being that they overinflate the lungs. The lungs only give so much, and so we end up with uh, people with, with lung damage um, from the machines that we put them on to save their lives. So that's trading one problem for another. And uh, innovative company put a sensor into the machine which would – sense when the lungs are getting to the close to their capacity and um, and adjust. So in behavioral health and all of healthcare, I'm, I'm excited to see the, the innovation that comes out of this adversity. 
And I think the marriage of this hospitality management of how do we care for human beings uh, in the way that helps them maintain their dignity and um, and helps them um, have health care the way that they expect means the bar has been raised. I don't think that's going to go away. And um, I think we're going to get there. And that means we've got to ask a lot of questions. Uh, we've got to study, have good analytics, and hear uh, what is important. Make sure we accommodate to their needs instead of patients accommodating to our offerings. And just make it uh, easier and more accessible for everyone. Uh, I think we'll we'll see a lot more uh, technology in there, but we use the technology so that we can have human connection in the actual healthcare delivery. And we've got uh, eyeballs to eyeballs. How can I see you and help you with what you need? And I think we're going to be better when we come out of all of this. Well, that's great, and uh, I too look forward. To that day as well, and uh, I certainly think you know. I think we all see glimmers of that as we, you know, as we go for for healthcare services ourselves as consumers. That you know, there it's the industry is getting there slowly, and there's been little innovations. Whether it's taking my son to the pediatrician or going to the dentist or what have you, we're we're starting to see some of those changes. And you know, as we've talked about, it's certainly been accelerated uh, in the times we're living in today. And uh, and with the help of uh, experienced folks like you, we look forward to uh, to uh, to getting further into th- that improvement uh, as we uh, as we go forward a few more years. So, this has been uh, this has been great, Erica. And uh, before I let you go, I, I just wanted to, if you can quickly let us uh, let the audience know where they can get more information about MindPath Care Centers. I know you have a lot of great resources on your site, uh, both around COVID and there's a blog uh, about behavioral health. Is anything that you can share with? Uh, with our audience just in terms of where they can find some of those resources? You bet. We've got a website at mindpathcare.com, and there's lots of uh, valuable resources and information there. And uh, um, just encourage people to um, you know, to reach out whenever they need help and never uh, never feel alone. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much, Erica. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon. Okay. Thank you, John.